Welcome to the Automotive Diagnostic Podcast. We're going to explore ways to sharpen our diagnostic skills, find learning resources, and hear from experts in the automotive field. Hey, what's up, everybody? Uh, Before we get going, I wanted to let everybody know that I am looking into potentially hosting Mike Christofferson and Pedro De La Torre's EPROM class here in the Twin Cities, Minnesota area. So if you're in the Midwest or you've been looking to take this class, you know, they've been teaching it around the country and at Vision. It was probably one of the most talked about classes at Vision recently in Kansas City. If you've been looking to take this class and you want to swing up here to the Midwest, uh, late spring, early summer, we don't have dates in place just yet. Right now, I'm just looking to see how many people would be interested. And if we can get enough attendees uh, that are interested in coming to the class, we can get this set up. So if you're interested, please reach out to me, uh, whether that be Facebook Messenger or email, which I will include in the show notes of this episode. You can just let me know, hey, I am interested, or maybe you want to know some more details about the class. I can help you out with that. You can also check out episode number 71 of this podcast. I had Mike and Pedro on to explain exactly what they teach in this class. And of course, that was a year ago. They've advanced the class even since then. So anyways, with that out of the way, let's get into the episode. Hey, what's going on automotive world? Welcome to another episode of the Automotive Diagnostic Podcast. My name is Sean Tipping and I'll be your host for today's episode. Joining me on the show this week is Daryl Cahorn. Daryl is a trainer and technician out of Tennessee. He's been on the show before. We hung out at Vision, uh, and that's one of the things we're going to talk about this week is the training at Vision, some of the classes we took, which ones we liked, which ones we didn't, how it could have been better. We're going to talk case studies with some broken vehicles, the diagnostic method process that we take into these sort of things. Uh, We'll talk about HP tuners a little bit, um, all kinds of stuff. Uh, This is a great conversation. Uh, You know, we just flew through two hours because Daryl is a very passionate person in this industry. Uh, It's easy to tell. And uh, I like talking to those kinds of people. So with that out of the way, let's jump right in. Hey there. You in your van or truck? Uh, I'm actually out in the truck. Yeah. Nice. I'm, out, I'm outside, so I don't I don't have to be super quiet. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, the acoustics are perfect. And uh, what is that like a Chevy Chevy truck or something? It's a uh, Ram 1500 Eco Diesel. Oh, okay. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's a work vehicle. I just picked it up yesterday. Drove it back from Ohio. Oh, okay. So you're just getting another thing. Mm-hmm. What, what yeah. is the eco diesel? What's the well, three liter V six turbo diesel in okay. a fifteen hundred truck? Okay, it runs pretty good. Yeah, um, range I get on the way down, get a little over five hundred miles out of a tank of fuel, about twenty two miles a gallon average. That's not bad at all. Uh, it runs. Especially... It's got one hundred sixty thousand miles on it right now. Okay, nice. Yeah, I mean, the way gas is right now, you get a truck with 
22 miles a gallon. That's not that's not bad at all. Although I don't even know what are diesel prices right now where you're at because I don't even pay attention to diesel. Um, around like mid fours up to just over five uh, on the way back. Okay. Uh, it was about a quarter tank. Uh, filling up at about a quarter tank is a little over a hundred bucks. Gotcha. That's right at twenty, a little over twenty gallon. Okay. At a quarter tank. Yeah, it's it's damn near a hundred bucks to fill up my F one fifty, and that thing does not get <laughs> twenty two miles to the gallon. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely, definitely make that make that work. <laughs> right. I'm I'm loving the little uh, transit connect though that I I roll around in most of the time for work and stuff though because that's that is closer I want to say depending on how much freeway driving I do you know I'll get close to 25 in that and uh, that's not not bad at all for a work van yeah that's that's pretty good it's gutless I mean, but <laughs> yeah they that wasn't a powerhouse they didn't. They didn't put good cams in those. No. They're not, not made to go fast. It's not they're not even phased or anything. It's just a it's just a straight <laughs> cam in that one and uh you you get what you get. Um, yeah, you're you're lucky you got a throttle body with that one too. Right? <laughs> like, oh we don't need that. Oh I might want that. <laughs> yeah, I uh you know, I was thinking about upgrading or something like that, but because it, it's getting up there in miles, it's got I want to say yeah, creeping up on like two thirty. But I mean, the thing's still in nice shape. Uh, I had the rocker panels fixed because they were all rusted out. But I knew a guy that did body work and he put some aluminum panels on there for me. It looks super nice. Like sprayed them with this like Rhino liner stuff, um, and it actually looks pretty slick. I was like, well, there's really nothing else wrong with this van. Of course, uh, I say that, and it's going to break down on me tomorrow. But, I mean, <laughs> I can't can't beat it for what I'm doing. I mean, as long as it works for you and doesn't let you down, then that's good. Mm-hmm. Um, that's important stuff to try to, to try to get. Like, I don't – this being a work vehicle, I don't know how – Hopefully it'll turn out pretty good. It's at 17 with 160,000 miles on it. Okay. Um, but my daily had been my 07 Odyssey. The thing's got 260 on it. Okay. Jump in and go. Nothing to worry about. Sure. Yeah. I think uh, Tommy drives a Odyssey around to do his, his mobile stuff too. So Great vehicles. Imagine you can just pack all your stuff in there. If you fold the seats down and all that stuff. Oh, yeah. I got my Milwaukee pack out stuff in there and all my tools, tool bag, um, all my electrical repair stuff, uh, my diet cases, everything. So just goes. I got to get some of those Milwaukee pack outs. I see a lot of people that are using them when they're going around to different shops and stuff. That looks like a slick setup. Yeah, they, they are nice. They were, uh, it was a chunk of money, um, buying them, but. It was the setup I got. It it works pretty nice. Can you get like inserts for them? Like, let's say I wanted to have one and just like stack laptops in it or something like that. Or do you have to? Can you custom make something like that? I imagine you could get like your own phone. I haven't seen any like foam blocks to set in. Okay. Uh, But if you have something like a hot knife set up, you could 
make that really easy or the, the like the pick and pluck foam kits for Pelican cases. I'm okay. sure you can make those work. I think that's what I'm probably thinking of because I, th- I thought I had saw somebody that had a nice nice setup where they had several laptops and they were just in these little slots in foam in this case. I was like, oh, man, because I'm, I'm using like a backpack right now and stuff. And yeah. it works, but I'd like to be a little bit more professional, a little bit more protected for my equipment, you know. Oh, I yeah, I got to gotta keep all this stuff in good shape. Yeah. Um, I, I carry my main go-to tools I carry with me are my uh, my ThinkTool S10, the old Veris Edge, my, my Dag laptop, couple J2534 interfaces, uh, MDI2, um, Tech2, and the old laptop with XP and TIS2000 on it. Um, HP Tuners goes everywhere with me, too. Nice. Uh, the 4Scan, uh, that 50, you know, the USB cable for it. I uh, use it a lot. Uh, okay. It comes in super handy. Just I got everything in a couple bags, mainly, but all my big stuff goes in the packouts. Okay. Yeah, I'm uh, finding more and more uses for the HP tuner setup, and and not just like, you know, obviously people do the tuning side of things, but um, it's it's pretty versatile for, especially for GM stuff. That's where I find myself using it all the time. Um, but and this was not my idea that I came up with. This is learning from other people, but that you could pull all of the tables and stuff, which I knew you could, you like, you could look at all the ignition timing and the, the fuel maps and all that stuff, but to actually look at it and learn how the engine strategy is applied to the vehicle at different times and what it's doing at different times and the intentions of the computer under certain circumstances, that's that's huge to have an insight like that. Even if you don't even use the HP tuners to change anything, you're just you're learning yeah. about the strategy of that module. I, I've I tell you what, I've learned so much about the GM 6L80 uh, strategy in the Chevy trucks and stuff over the last I don't know eight or nine months. It's crazy. I never never knew even close to that about a transmission strategy <laughs> before. But you can well, see it all. You can see all the tables. Um, speaking of the 6L80, just so you brought it up, and HP, have you um, have you done any of the downloads from the Tuning Schools website with the the preset um, parameter list? I have not. Um, I've, I've messed around with a few of them myself, but I haven't downloaded anything. They have. Uh, I got. I bought the from the Tuning Schools the Ford and GM uh, transmission tuning books. Okay. And what the goal is to make some tunes for for those trans packages and market them around here. I do a lot of transmission programming, um, but they all have the reasons for failure. And the goal is to improve on that software that's already written to make these trends last longer and sure. use that as an upsell. Not only am I coming in and programming this new 6L80, but hey, I've got an, I got something here that's that I've proven to give it longer life and help the shift feel, um, would that be something you'd be interested in? And that's, that's done as a, you know, a side program. It takes several steps. It'll take several steps to, to finalize writing the, the values in because right now I've been playing around with some, uh, vehicles with mileage on them 
So that file is going to behave, or, or those settings are going to behave a little bit differently than a brand new unit would, mm-hmm. um, where all the where all the tolerances are tighter, um, everything's fresh, and you wouldn't use the exact same settings. So um, having a, a use like uh, I'm, I'm mainly focusing on the Ford Six R One Eighty right now, okay. um, dialing one in to get it shifting good. And and get rid of a like a three I think it's a three four um, slip he was having and doing what the tuning school book calls a, a towing tune. Uh, it's not very aggressive, but it's just um, quick smooth shifts and it gets the the gear engaged and then goes. So no slip, no trans heat up. Um, it makes the trans last a lot longer material wise, service wise, everything's better. Yeah, it's it's crazy what you can do with software. It's just absolutely nuts, or you know how how badly you can screw something up, or how you can fix something and increase the life of a you know three thousand dollar transmission. Um, mm-hmm. The uh, the six L eighties and nineties. It's that torque converter, and I had no idea because I didn't own one. I didn't drive it around, but they go in a lockup, and it depends on the model. Like a Yukon might be different than a Silverado, but some of them are as early as nine miles an hour in first gear. They'll go into lockup for the torque converter. And I, if you would have told me that, I'd be like, no way. There's no way it does it at nine miles an hour in first gear. What would be the point? But it does, and it just goes up from there. It, second, third, fourth, fifth, whatever. It, it's always, always applying that torque converter clutch. And so the, the thing shells eventually, just blows up, goes throughout the transmission, and, and wipes out everything else. And that's what all these guys are fixing it for. And, um, so yeah, I imagine that that software package or if they have one for that might be adjusting something like that. The, uh, on the tuning school website, if you go down to the bottom, there is a, a link for, I think it's called course downloads. You don't have to have the, any purchases from them to get, uh, the downloads. Basically the download contains, uh, some stock files and, um, some preset lists like transmission uh, data parameters, engine data parameters, and you're going to save those. And then when you open HP tuners, um, you can automatically select that parameter list. And it's just like pulling up a custom data list that you've saved on any scan tool. Um, you bring those up and it's, it's got those all right there on the side. It's already recording and you can select from those to bring into a graph format, whatever you want. It's, 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 pretty cool to have that already done for you and all you got to do is download it and save it for sure that's awesome i will uh, i will definitely check that out because i haven't uh i had somebody else recommend that to me maybe it was you um but somebody told me about that they had a lot of cool stuff there it doesn't um, cost that that part doesn't cost anything so freeze a freeze always a good price on anything yeah yeah well just you know, that cable, I don't know, what is it, like 400 bucks or whatever. You can do a lot of stuff without even paying tokens for, for actually updating stuff. Oh, like yeah, I said, just a- learning and using the scan tool side of things. That fuel trim table that you can set up to be like the e-scan. Uh, mm-hmm. You can do um, the uh, Jeep. You can change the, I don't know if it's a gear ratio like, and the tire size or both. You do that yeah, free on Jeep the scanner cross- side. Yeah, a lot of like Jeeps and Dodges, um, or a lot of Crosser products. You can do that function right within the uh, the VCM scanner, and it doesn't cost anything. It's it's really quick. Um, now, speaking of that, I had 
I needed to do it on a, what was it, a Jeep Commander, like an 07 Jeep Commander here recently. Um, you could not do it through HP tuners. Um, reason being, that generally looks for it in the ECM or like the cluster. Uh, but this one, this vehicle had it stored in the FCM or the TIPM, BCM, the same mm. module. Um, so it was in a different location, and uh, so it never pulled it up. Ended up using um, Alpha OBD and riding that custom tire size. And then I found it later, um, after I found it in the FCM, uh, I found that function in the in the top down or the the think tool in that same module. But at uh, that point, I already I had already had it done. Okay. Um, what was what was interesting is putting that tire size in uh, in millimeters, which is what <laughs> it's originally written as. So you got to calculate it out the uh, the tire diameter. Was it yeah the tire diameter in millimeters? Yeah, um, yeah. I do remember doing a conversion like that uh, at one point or another to get it to millimeters. <laughs> so, um, yeah, for when I re- when I remembered, I I don't remember what t- tool I was using. Probably a launch or an Autel. And I was trying to do that tire change in the Jeep, and it wouldn't let me select the aftermarket size that they had equipped on this Jeep through the scan tool because I think it only gave you certain options or you can only punch in certain options through the tool but then through the hp tuners i don't know if it's any size that you want but you could definitely go with the aftermarket size and it it worked like a charm yeah i did notice after putting that custom size in because it wasn't an option or it wasn't a factory option size um i tried with these with im608 and what it had was a was a list of OE tire sizes that it had options. Yeah. Well, this wasn't any of those. And even by converting the math, um, they still were like two, two and a half inches off from what this actually was. So it wouldn't have been anywhere accurate. And that's what the guy was after. Um, so uh, he had also done a, it was a two wheel drive, um, but he had it, lifted and, and larger tires on the tool drive, which, you know, it's, that really makes sense to me, but, um, he had a different gear ratio. So we needed to change that and his tire size was different. So, but I got straightened out with alpha OBD. Nice. Nice. I have yet to get that one. I've heard people talking about it though. It's pretty handy with Chrysler stuff. I've heard people say a lot of good things about it on the Android side. I have it on uh, the windows and I just learned to use it and it works pretty good. Um, I do, I do like the interface. I just don't have a, an Android tablet sitting around. Um, that's that I could install it on. Uh, otherwise I, I might just buy one of those and an OBD link MX, uh, adapter just to have, but right now using it with the, uh, with the four scan cable and the laptop. Okay. Well, uh, we were both at vision, uh, few weeks ago here how uh, what'd you think of vision how'd you like your classes oh vision was a blast this was the first time i'd gotten to go uh, i'd wanted to go for several years um finally had an opportunity to go um set in some good classes and, and really enjoyed it um got to meet a lot of a lot of people for the first time and uh also a lot of people for the second time after uh, meeting them at uh AST back in uh, September last year. I had, yeah. a, had a great time. Uh, got a lot out of it. Um, 
lot that I, that I took home and want to start using or try to use right away. Some I'm still going back to the books and, and reabsorbing, um, just to try to stay fresh. Cause it was, it was a lot of information in, in four days worth of time. Right. Yeah. You, there's no way you can lock all of that in <laughs> the first time around. <laughs> no. What, uh, what classes you take or what, what ones are your favorites? I took, uh, that Thursday, I took Bernie Thompson's all day class, which was phenomenal. That was some good stuff. Yeah. Talk um, about not being able to absorb all the information. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I had, uh, I had some coffee. I, I think I had to go get an energy drink or something at, at break to, <laughs> to keep firing. But um, but now that was that was a really good class. I enjoyed it. I was glad I took it. Um, on that Friday, I took the uh, the EPROM class that Pedro and Mike Christopherson did. Um, that was a good one. Uh, that was that was probably my actually my favorite class. Uh, I feel like I got more out of it than. Uh, than anything else the entire event because that was to me that was the area that I needed to most the most information I needed to grow the most in so that's that's why I took it on Saturday morning uh, I had it was a transmission class that was held at the Hilton Garden Inn next door to it and that was a, a smaller class and um it was okay. Uh, it wasn't quite what I, what I expected. It was about, um, I mean, the material would have been good, but the, the presentation was just, uh, it, it could have been executed a lot better. Okay. Um, but the material is about, you know, when trans things that show up as transmission concerns, but they're really caused by other things. And the, uh, the book itself, uh, like the PDF was over 600 and, or like the PowerPoint slide was over 650 slides and trying to do it in three hours time. Um, it was just like, it was like speed dating, just (laughs) bam, 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 bam. And there was, there's no way to cover that much ground in that little time and have, you know, any kind of, you know, in-depth content. It was all surface level. And there was so much of it that just got, read a couple of words on the slide, go forward where there were some, uh, what would have been really good case studies mm-hmm. and that there could have been a lot taken out of it, but it just got skimmed over so fast. And yeah. that was, that was kind of a disappointment. Um, like there was even one in there from one that Bernie Thompson did, I, I believe it was on a, a Chevrolet Duramax truck and had some communication codes, some shifting problems, um, just a whole list of issues. And there was, uh, it came down to the fact that there was a, uh, some, some dents in the torque converter because those, the turbine speed sensor reads off of, um, the stamped ridges on the torque converter housing. Oh, no and kidding. the converter had at some point been dropped and one of them was dented in. And it, uh, caused a whole list of issues. And it just got skimmed through so fast. Uh, it was probably 10, 15 slides. Yeah. And it was like a minute long is how he, how much time he spent on it. It was, wow. that, yeah. that was disappointing. Um, sure. So that, that one could have been better. Um, yeah. You, you, that, when you do those, those presentations to people, uh, after you're, at least for me, after I've done 
enough of them to students anyways i realized like yeah how long and, and drag out is not the right way to put it but to expand on what you're talking about like you can make yeah something that's maybe 10 slides and that's an hour that's an hour and a half of going through stuff because you can break it down talk about the systems go in depth give people references things like that and you can take just one broken car and get a ton of value out of it um because yeah i bet i've been guilty of the same thing just blasting through stuff just so fast because i wanted to try to cover everything and sometimes it's better to focus on one specific thing rather than trying to hit every single point that you wanted to hit yeah you 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 take that you have a mental mindset of trying to cover everything and then the hindsight is from the uh the people in front of you they felt like you covered nothing because right. everything was just bam, bam yeah. too much uh you know too little too fast that was that class was a was a very very big missed opportunity that that material was um to try to cover that too much or that much ground that little time that was no that, that was not it that would have been more like a like an eight hour class than you would have probably got halfway through it kind of thing. Okay. Um, but then Saturday afternoon uh, took Thornton's class. Um, that was a really good class. That was the first time I got to meet him. Enjoyed it. What was um, he teaching in that one? Oh, uh, what was it? Because um, I did a Sunday morning one with uh, the mechanical engine diagnosis with you know like vacuum transducers and stuff i'd have to look i don't remember what his uh what the class title actually was okay. um i, mean, I do remember by john is several, awesome yeah yeah it's, it's <laughs> never going to be a disappointment I've, I've watched him online but it's the first time i've actually got to sit in an in-person class of his and and it was really really good um then uh saturday morning had a uh class put on by garage gurus um is on uh i think network testing there was there was some good stuff in there on uh like on most bus uh like that type of system you know audit that was that was a good take that's probably the best takeaway from it um but i think the the guy that was doing it kind of gave me the impression that he worked at a chevrolet dealership many many years ago and the last time he worked on a chevrolet it was still class two single wire network okay and here he is trying to teach a uh a class about you know ken networks and 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 most and it was a he wasn't the right right person for that one but sure um the material uh the material was there um Uh but the cutoff the the um was well, saying the the downside of that was the was a presenter not not to dog him I don't, I don't like to dog anybody but um I, don't, I just don't think he was prepared for that class yeah as much I, well, as he should have been well you know i think it's actually important you know for anybody that goes to one of these things to give honest feedback like that so you know next year or you know vision or the presenter or the companies or whatever can really look at it and say okay well, how can we make this better for the people that are attending because it's it's not cheap you're taking you know time where you could be making money you're paying to go there yeah it's a lot of fun but it's it's an expense like you expect the best you you expect to have you know really good value for the dollars that you're putting out there and then you know not making while you're there 
And so I, I think some honest critique of some of the classes is really, really important. You know, I, I talked to a few of the people that I took classes from and, hey, here's what I liked and here's what could have been better about it. Because I, I would want to know that. If it was me up there, like, I want some honest feedback. Like, if anybody was in Tech Talks and watched my little half-hour blurb, tell me what was wrong. I'd love to hear it. <laughs> yeah, that um, one thing that, that kind of stood out that kind of made me kind of think that way, somebody had, uh, or the topic of cross-secure gateway stuff came up, and he had, uh, he, he tried to blurt out some stuff about um, how auto auth works and the facts about it. And he got them all wrong. Mm. Um, said it, it has to go through snap on and you got to pay snap on to do it. And it's like a hundred bucks and no, and, uh, <laughs> it was just, it's like, I, you know, red light. Let's, let's back up. Right. Um, but we got, we got that straightened out and, uh, it, the class was, was pretty good. That was some good discussion. So the, 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 best part took away from it was the the information on the most bus and and how it worked and uh there was and and it works out pretty neat because just uh like a week uh about a week or so after taking that class transmission shop around here called me to um they're worried that they screwed something up they flashed a uh tcm or a transmission on a 17 I think it was a 17 Silverado. Uh-huh. And then af- after they were done, the, uh, the radio, um, the display, there was, there was no display, no sound, nothing. And they were worried they screwed something up, but I, I looked it up and, and there's a TSB that goes back for GM that has that model year in it, uh, several vehicles for, um, um, basically HMIs, uh, the human machine interface failures on the most bus and you'll have, you'll have one or two symptoms. You either have, um, no display, no sound, or you have no display and sound. And, uh, they're usually caused by, by a failed HMI. Okay. And that was a common problem. I told him, look, it's nothing you did. You didn't do anything wrong. The, the network's completely separate. Uh-huh. Um, the only thing that connects them is a gateway, but what you did has nothing to do with what's wrong with this vehicle right now. Right. So that, that gave him some, uh, uh, a little bit of assurance and he, and he, he calmed down, but he was, he just called me, you know, freaking oh, out. Sure. Like, yeah. What I do. We've all been in that situation where <laughs> you just happen to be working on a car when something completely unrelated fails or breaks. Like the odds are, are such that, that's going to happen to you if you're in this field long enough. And then of course you're wondering, at least for me, I'm like, Oh, what did I do? What did I break? How did, yeah. how did I screw up that part when I'm working on this part of the car? You know? Um, but you know, sometimes that happens. Um, it's like, like an Urkel moment. Did I do that? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It, was, it wasn't me. I didn't do it. I just, sometimes I was just like, how could I have broken that? Like, you know, what could I have possibly have done to broken that component? And I, of course, there's times where, yeah, I've done something weird and it did break something else. And so that's why it's in my head that I'm trying to just connect the dots. Like, what part was I messing with that broke this part? Um, but uh, yeah, sometimes that's just the way it works with used cars. 
Um, these uh, these transmission shops, I'll tell you. So I go in and do a lot of programming, but they have me do diagnostics too. And the, the setup that I kind of have is a lot like a number of other diagnostic guys. Like I think Eric Ziegler's got a whole class titled this where I'm just trying to figure out, is it in the transmission or is it electronic computer related? That's my goal. But once it's like in the transmission mechanically, hydraulically, I am no longer the expert on that for, for the most things. You, you know, I, I don't rebuild transmissions. I've rebuilt one in my life. I'm, I, I know the components and I can read about the components, but I'm not an expert like these guys, but they'll want me to tell them, you know, why this clutch is not working correctly or why the the pressure is not correct in this one spot. And once I get past the electrical portion, I'm just like, I don't know, dude, you got to tear this apart and start looking at it because I don't know the hydraulic circuitry to this thing and all the ins and outs of this particular transmission. So I've had some instances where... You know, I, I just, I'm like, it's not electric. It's not a computer. It, it's on, it, the, the ball is in your court now, transmission guy. Figure it out. Um, but it's not it's like an a, engine, right? I know an engine. I know what's going on inside of an engine transmission. It can be a little different. You would, I mean, a part of me wants to say you, you would think that transmission shops, since they're specialized in that one part of the car, that's all they do. Right. That, they would have a much better grasp of this, but you know, I'll tell you what it so is. Many, so many variables, so many types, and yep. I'll, I'll tell you what it is because this is the number one scenario that I get involved with. They've already rebuilt the transmission, and then there's a problem. And so, whether it be pride or just not wanting to deal with it, <clears throat> they don't want to accept the fact that there could still be a mechanical problem. So they are dead set on it is a computer or electrical problem. So that's when I get called in. So that that's kind of where it is because I'll be like, yeah, it's in the tranny. They're like, no, 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 I air checked everything. You know, we went through the valve body. It's got the new this and the new that. I'm like, it's not a computer. It's not electric. Well, what is it? I'm like, yeah, and I don't, I don't know the whole valve body or circuitry in that. And I don't have the time to learn it on this this vehicle you need to tear it apart so that's kind of where it's at and it's hasn't been a big issue but i do feel strange like i like being able to give precise answers and that's an area where i would say i'm kind of lacking once it gets to the the hydraulic portion of transmissions giving a precise answer without tearing it down you know yeah one uh another one recently was a guy had installed his own uh was a 2013 yeah, 2013, I believe. Um, uh, EcoBoost F-150, and he put a valve body in it, and it came from this company. It had been a you know a rebuilt valve body, and supposedly everything was good to go. Um, uh, he had uh, he was worried to death that he had done something wrong during install, but he called me to uh, to write you know the you know program it. So I wrote the the solenoid strategy, and once we got that in, took it for a, a drive, and it would it would slam into gear really hard. Mm-hmm. Um, like as soon as you leave park, just bam, just reverse drive. It's pretty harsh, and didn't think that felt right. Even uh, after you know clearing the adaptive tables, and I had the I took screenshots of what the numbers were before, mm-hmm. and then what numbers wrote into it, and they matched what was on the valve body itself, and. Went for a drive in that first first gear to second gear slant or uh, gear change was rock solid. 
just there was no uh there was no modulation nothing it just bam <laughs> yeah and uh like oh, feel all right um but all the other gears were fine uh but coming back down the the two one it was same way okay. uh, it was just really hard or no it was like three two um with slam so something to do with uh with going to second gear mm-hmm. uh just wasn't right and it it didn't have this problem before with the old valve body um it was replaced due to uh it would get into fourth and then it wouldn't shift anymore mm. um but now it had all the gears but it just had that harsh engagement so he was worried well it could be something in the programming that wasn't right no i mean everything's straight from ford so mm-hmm I uh, double checked and we looked at some data and and monitored some values on a test drive and and everything looked right. I said, "Look, something's wrong with that valve body. Um, you can either you know drop it and inspect for you know something not being right, but something either happened, something's off with the install or something's wrong with the valve body, and you're going to be pulling it off anyway. So see if the company can." you know, warranty out you a new one since you just got this. And sure enough, they, they, you know, send him another one. They said, look, if this nothing fix it, you'll just have to have a whole unit. Like, mm-hmm. you know, okay. But I didn't have that issue before. So he got the new one in and I went out on Monday and, uh, uh, wrote that one. Um, same way I did the other one. Perfect. It was butter smooth and, all the engagements were fine. He was tickled. He was he was very very happy. Nice. Um, he's glad to know he didn't need a whole transmission. So yeah, he's right. uh, he's he's back to to work running in that thing. Dude, have you so done? That, that one came out good. That's good. Um, ha- have you done the Nissan's the CVTs when you get a new one? You, they come with a CD, right? And mm-hmm. I have I've actually I have consult. And I've done it that way. I have a little CD drive that connects to my laptop, and I'll do that. But the Autel will I snap use, a picture of the QR code. That's how I do it. Yeah, that is slick. I, I did that the first time the other day, right? Because I had consult. I'd just been doing it with the, the consult software. And sometimes they needed an actual software update, and then I'm, I'm kind of in there anyways. But if they don't right. need the software update, and it just needs the, what do they call that, the IP something data yeah it's ip characterization yeah yeah right right ip characterization but that the the tablet the autel tablet itself snaps snaps a picture of the qr code that's either on the cd or on the range sensor and I'll, i will tell you if it's on the range sensor you can't get your autel tablet close enough to get the picture so you have to take a picture with your iphone and then bring it up to yep. the autel but anyways it's slick i i really i think that's cool that they figure that out yeah and uh um, that's once I learned, uh, that that feature was there. Um, just, uh, I learned about it from somebody else. Like, you gotta be kidding me. There's no way that's there. Right. It can't be that simple. Yeah. Um, but no, it was, it's right there under hot functions and transmission and mm-hmm. like, holy cow. The, so, um, the other thing you can do, you can punch it in manually. So mm-hmm. if for whatever reason you can just snap it with your iPhone and your iPhone will decode it it'll it'll pull out the data from the qr code and then you can sit there and punch it in manually i mean i guess i'd rather do it with a cd drive (laughs) at that point but you got options just in case you know i've used uh i've used the notes app to to convert that qr code into um that digital 
or that numerical file for uh, like coding on stuff like Mercedes headlights and and some other oh. stuff before as well. Okay, okay. That's that's been a while since I had to do that. Um, I learned that trick from somebody else too. But I noticed the uh, I've been waiting on on the next Nissan I get to do that. The the Think Tool has the the right IP characterization functions as well. Um, hmm. You have a top done, right? Yeah, I got the. I think it's the same thing as yours. It's a Phoenix it's, Plus. So yours should have that um, for the Nissan stuff as well. Hmm. And I don't. Uh, I've I've talked with Derek at Think Car, and and he was telling me that this one doesn't do the image, but I'm gonna find out. Um, yeah, it's got a camera need, on it. I need. To, yeah, it's got the camera, and I don't know if the. I'm just curious to see if there's actually a step in that. Uh, maybe somebody told him wrong. I'm going to find out. Um, hmm. I'm, yeah. I'm dying to get another Nissan CVT. Uh, it's, you know, it's bound to happen. There's <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the, the odds are in your favor. That there's going to be another one coming. Uh, <laughs> yeah. There for a long time. I just, you know, I use consult three. I do the, the one day license to it and, you know, roll that. And then, and then my, my program in charge is, uh, it, it covers that. But, you know, since being able to find or, you know, finding that I can do it with the 608, it's just made everything so much easier. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's literally like a five, ten minute uh, process. It takes just as long to do the pre-scan as it does to uh, to write that file and, you know, do the shifter sequence and erase the data um, and be done. There was one day I went to a shop. I had a, a 2017, 2018 uh, was it, I think a Malibu PCM to flash. And so I had SPS two going and while I had that going, I walked over to, uh, I think a rogue or a pat, no, maybe in a pathfinder. Um, but in the time on SPS two, I had, I hit, you know, start or the, you know, start programming, uh-huh. went over to the Nissan, uh, had that CVT done. And then back to the to the GM laptop, and it wasn't nice. finished yet. So <laughs> that was uh, that was a nice one. That yeah, that's where you can really get productive. Uh, you know, the two or the three for ones or whatever, and yeah, just getting into that like that kind of like flow state where you know the times for everything. You know how long this is going to take. Like when I do GM programming, so I do a lot of it. I'll get, I'll get the TLC going. And it's the point where you're in the web browser that pulls up and it says launch tech line connect. And then you hit yes on your computer. And then it takes a while to like boot up, check for updates, open up the page, connect to the vehicle. So then after I do that, I'll go hook up my battery maintainer to the vehicle while it's doing that. And then about the time I get back to the laptop, it's ready to actually connect to the vehicle. But that's just one of those things. Like you just, you do it enough times. You're like, why am I standing here? I could be, you know, Use, utilizing this time it, i guess it's not like a flat rate mindset that i had as a tech or i'm just like i want to utilize every single minute of the day to be productive um, right. but you, you figure that stuff out as you go what i've started doing on uh as for gm on TechLine connect instead of opening it um we turn this brightness down here um instead of waiting until i'm in the web browser to uh, to launch it and let it check for updates. Then I just launch the the desktop icon, uh-huh. and if there are any updates, it'll 
install them then. And it seems to be more solid at not causing issues during the update process. Okay. That's good um, to know. Because there's plenty of those, there's plenty of updates on that thing. Yeah, I usually do that on uh, like Monday mornings before anything. Or if I haven't used it in a while, let's say it's been four or five days, uh, just fire it up in the morning and, and let it check for updates. And then, you know, yeah. you got to do what I have to. Um, it's it seemed to work out a little bit a little bit better. I have a micropod for Chrysler stuff, and um, th- that's been updating quite a bit recently as well. And that's actually on the firmware on a little device that you plug into the the car. And so generally, I would get to the car that I was going to program, and then it would update. But I found I can plug the micropod into my Ford Transit. And of course, it's not going to connect to a Ford Transit, but it'll connect to the point where it will update. And so I'll update the pod as I'm driving to the shop that I'm going to go use it to program. Yep. <laughs> Save that's, myself that's, a couple of minutes. Smart. Anyways. <laughs> yeah, I didn't know if it was going to work, yeah, but I plugged it in and it was, like, it was like updating. And then it's like, I don't know what vehicle this is, dude. What do you got me plugged into? Yeah. But <laughs> <laughs> Something's, something's broke. Something's broke. Right. <laughs> yeah, all that stuff. Keep, keep it up on all the, the updates and the technology stuff. It's, it's something else. Yeah, it's it's not to keep you busy. And uh, it's just it's just part of the, the industry. And it's part of the whirlwind. So it's it's a something you got to do. You got to know how to keep your equipment up to date and keep everything um, working. Yeah, people that can adapt are and are going to be very successful in this field. That's that's the new thing where I, I don't know that it was always so much the case. I mean, cars have always changed, but you could kind of get by on some some basic knowledge. I feel like easily back in the day, some mechanical aptitude and things like that, whereas now you want to be really successful. Like you got to be able to pivot very quickly and learn new things and take on new stuff all the time. And if you can, then you're going to, you're going to do very well. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. But you gotta, you gotta be willing to do it and put the effort in. And Mm -hmm. some people are just, if, if you know the people, if you met a lot of the people that I have, I just don't think they, they have that, that drive. They want everything as easy as possible. And, don't bother me with anything. It just, it needs to do it itself. Yep. Yeah. I want to come into my job and I want to do the same thing that I did yesterday. And then tomorrow I want to do the same thing again. Dump me. Uh, If I want to do that, I go work in a factory. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I, the, the monotonous repetitive work. No, thank you. (laughs) I like, uh, I like having new challenges every day. I think it makes you a better person. Uh, and it really builds your skill set, you know, going into something blind, um, you know, preparing for the worst, hoping for the best and then dealing whatever with whatever happens. And, mm-hmm. uh, I've, I've had a good couple, you know, a couple of good vehicles here lately that have, you know, I went into it expecting something drastic because of what I was told. Um, you know, it's one of those problem vehicles where, you know, Joe Jim Bob down down here checked it out six months ago and he's had it and it, this thing ain't run in a year. Well, it takes like five minutes to figure out what was wrong with it. <laughs> so, like, how did he miss that? 
those just those kind of things. I've, I've had a you know a few of those, and um, not not bragging on me. I don't want to sound that way. I'm not that type of person, but it just ended up being a, a, a something you know fairly simple that got overlooked. And mm-hmm. um, there's there's a couple shops where I want to change the name in my phone uh, to what their actual business is to you know shotgun because <laughs> yep. that's that's what they 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 tend to do. I mean, they when they call me, they're going down their the list of parts they replaced on this and like that's yep. going to make any difference about my diagnostic routine. It's not going to change anything. Yeah, a car is broke. You can't figure it out. Okay. I'm coming. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's uh, there there's no plan or strategy into um you figuring out what's wrong. And, and it's interesting because I see it with my students a lot at the college where they, they don't have, they don't have a plan of attack. They don't, they haven't done it long enough to be able to think about a process and how they want to approach an issue. And so they'll just sort of grab at random things and they'll fixate on, well, you know, this connector but for no reason there's no testing behind it there's no real reason behind it they're just like i know this is part of the system i'm zeroing in on this thing and we need to replace this or whatever but it's very similar to what you see out in the field with the kind of you know shops that you're talking about where there's just there's no there's nothing behind what they're replacing besides the fact that they know it exists on the car and maybe they know it's related to the system that has the problem there's Um, no uh there's no ROM reason, um, and often no testing had been yeah, done. Yeah. They just they looked on Identifix and seen that you know I had this problem and you know this fixed you know seventy five and we're gonna do that and no matter what the cost. Um, literally had one of those this past Monday, and ended up being uh, a problem that somebody else that had been working on the car caused and there wasn't anything wrong when they depart. It was a 2007 Kia. Uh, I've been getting a lot of Kias here lately. Okay. Um, and I'll, uh, we get a chance to talk about a, a couple case studies. I'll bring up one. I put on the, the, uh, the AIN and auto MD page, but this one was end up fixing over the phone and for them, but they had, it was an 07 Kia Santa Fe with a 3.3 it blowing the ignition fuse in the interior fuse box. And that fuse powers up the six coils and uh, two ignition condensers. That's it. Okay. If you look at a diagram, that's, that's all that's on it. Um, they had looked on Identifix and, and seen that with that fuse blowing – X amount of people, the, the top repair was an interior fuse panel. So they put one in. Mm-hmm. That's it. They didn't test anything. Mm-hmm. Just somebody, you know, going off whatever people experience. So put a fuse box in it. Do you think it fixed it? Probably nope. not. <laughs> no. So the next most common thing was PCM. They put one in. <laughs> think it fixed it? Nope. Nope. <laughs> But the PCM is not even on that fuse. It's not even related. So uh, then, you know, they were they were kind of lost at that point. 
And so I said, okay, well, so I pull up a diagram and while I'm on the phone with him, I said, I'm, I'm going to try to help you right now. So let, let's take a look at this. And they said they, they could unplug all six ignition coils and the fuse would still blow. I said, okay, the only thing left on this is the, the ignition condensers that are, you know, on the, on the valve cover areas. Okay. Um, and then that's when they said, yeah, yeah, we've seen those and they were, they were kind of busted up. So we just cut the wire and ran, a, uh, we just hooked that wire straight to the valve cover. <laughs> That'll do it. <laughs> um, I said, those capacitors are supposed to have one side of them, the black wire going in, it's supposed to be battery voltage. It's like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> so you're shorting that circuit to ground. No yeah. wonder that fuse is blowing. I said, try this, go unhook, uh, undo everything that was done, um, or uh, disconnect those wires and then check for a short to ground on that. And they did that. And, and sure enough, their short was gone. The fuse didn't blow anymore. I said, those capacitors need to be there. They need to have battery voltage on one side and the eyelet is just, uh, is, you know, a mount for them. It needs to be there too. So uh-huh. apparently they had gotten, they'd gotten damaged. I don't know if a used engine was put in and just got left that way. Um, but whatever, you know, whatever happened, I, I'd say one of the capac- one of the condensers was shorted, um, mm. from being damaged okay. and then they just exacerbated the problem by cutting it <laughs> right. off and shorting, you know, shorting battery voltage to ground. Yeah. And, yeah. um, so they, they fixed that and then everything was, everything was fine, but it's just, Think have have some kind of process. Where's where is the wiring diagram mm-hmm. on this? Where, what was the thought process? And unfortunately, on this one, there wasn't one. Yeah, and uh, that was you know if everything was that simple, easy to fix, our, our lives would be a whole lot easier. But unfortunately, <laughs> it's not. Yeah, no kidding. I um, that would be fantastic if it. Well, you know, it it would be nice and easy if it was that simple. But I don't think we'd enjoy it as mu- as much. You know, I. I I think we enjoy the difficult problems too, and the challenging ones. That's that's what keeps me coming back for more. I know that. Well, I, I rambled on about the classes I took at Vision. Did you? Uh, I've been trying to keep up with your with your podcast lately. Did you already go over what classes you took on another episode? Uh, I talked a little bit about it with Tommy. Um, I okay. took I took the Subaru class with Scott Shotton. That mm-hmm. was a really good class. Really enjoyed that a lot. Um, some really good up-to-date information on some modern Subaru stuff. Um, some of that related to the, the whole VVT thing where it uh, changes the learning value in the ECM and it's permanently burned in there. And I, I had one, I had an episode yeah. about it uh, this fall, you know, where we moved around some EEPROM stuff. And, but that was that was really cool to hear the Subaru side of things. Like, here's how this, all this functions, and here's what you look at. Um, I enjoyed that a lot. Keith Perkins networks network class. Um, anything from Keith is is awesome, and he put on a he put on a good uh, class there. That was that was packed. It was a huge room uh, there. Um, let's see what else did I do? I took uh, a key class with uh, Matt Skundrich. Uh That was really good. Um, learned a lot because I'm still getting into keys and did a bunch of the leashy, which I have bought some, or I had bought some prior to going, but I really 
didn't do enough with them to figure it out, but we spent some time, and since then I've been practicing more, and I've gotten much, much better at it from just spending some time with a lock cylinder on a bench. And I mean, for anybody who wants to learn leashy, that's probably a way to do it, is just go buy some locks from a junkyard and sit there mm-hmm. and just try to pick them yep. on the bench. And it's frustrating, and I was super frustrated in class, because uh, me and uh, Ben Farndo, we were sitting there, and we were trying to get this Volkswagen to lock, to unlock, and we had the leashy there. And I mean, we were trying, it must have been for like 30, 40 minutes, we were trying, and Matt comes over, and he's just like, and moves it, and we're just like, ah! And I think he did that twice, and you know, he's kind of showing us what we're doing wrong, and, and the finesse that you need to have in moving these little arms and the leashy. And eventually... It, it it clicked. It made sense um, that it's it's all about the springiness of the wafers, and you can overpick them and things that you just it's not intuitive. But that's why you go to class, learn that stuff. And so I feel like I kind of walked away with that with a a new or growing skill set, which I'm pretty excited about. Um, and then I did the tech talks thing where I was actually up front presenting for a part of it. I did a Volkswagen case study that uh, the uh, <laughs> the thing would run until you close the trunk, and then when you close the trunk, the whole vehicle would die. That was a pretty interesting one. Um, so it was just like a little half-hour blurb, the the Tech Talks thing. But the, the highlight of the Tech Talks was uh, Bryn Klein, Rich Falco, Keith Perkins. They did a game show. Of uh, it was like a version of the Price is Right, but they called it the Diag is Right, and they brought you know people down from the crowd, and they had prizes, and they had them bidding on tools, and it, they did a fantastic, fantastic job. That was that was probably one of my favorite parts of the weekend. Um, yeah, I, I didn't get to see any of that. I walked into the uh, into the room right after it had ended. Those uh, people all around still. Uh, Keith still had the. That shirt was sure. I noticed. I noticed the logo. It looked like the price drop, but I couldn't read exactly yeah. what it said on there. But the, I, I bet that I'm sure that would have been a lot of fun. I'm told there's a YouTube video that either is okay. up or is going to be up at some point because there was a couple okay. people that got recordings of it. So it, it, it's it definitely up. worth your time to to check it out. Just because they because he tied it in with a communications case study on a on a Toyota that was actually really interesting. Like the, the case study itself would have been interesting, but that they built it in with the the game show aspect was fantastic and gave away legit prizes. People donated, Cody donated some pulse sensors, AES wave donated some stuff and they were given, they were giving away prizes and stuff. It was, it was fun. Um, and then I took Scott or, uh, John Thornton, mechanical engine diagnosis Sunday morning and then uh, the snow hit and I I drove home in a snowstorm and got home at 5.15 a.m. and uh, <laughs> did you get stuck at the airport? No, I drove. Oh, that's right. You uh, drove. Yeah. Yeah. I drove in 11, like 11 and a half hours from, uh, from East Tennessee and I had, uh, you know, I didn't have any real problems. It's just on the way, on the way back, right after I went to St. Louis, um, somewhere between there and, uh, Mount Vernon, Illinois, I just, I got into rainstorms and it was 
constant for like three hours. Yeah. And there was one point where it slowed down to like 25, 30 miles an hour on the road because uh, you couldn't see anything. Uh, or you could you could barely see in front of you just enough to see the reflection off the lanes and um, you know it gotten you know completely dark and uh, finally got out of that right before um, right before Paducah Kentucky and I remember pulling off and and got gas and took a screenshot of the of the Weather Channel app and I was right on the bottom edge of this huge sail. And at that point, I could see the snow on the backside of it around uh-huh. the Kansas City area. So yeah. uh, that's when I started hearing about people stuck at the airport. Oh, man. Yeah. It's... That's why I drove. Well, that, <laughs> no, that's and, and good call. I didn't want to get stuck somewhere. That's, I think that's what I'm going to do next time. Because once I, once I looked at it from where I'm at in Twin Cities down there, it's only like six and a half hour drive. And I was just thinking, I was like, why? It flies easy, right? But I was like man, I, why not drive? Because now dr- driving home, because I left at, I don't know, somewhere between seven and eight o'clock at night. Cause that's when the whole airport thing didn't pan out. And so I'm driving up through the snowstorm all the way through Des Moines, Iowa. And so again, yeah, we can only go like 40 miles an hour and it didn't seem like anybody down there really could handle driving in the snow very well. Like it just maybe, I don't know, it doesn't happen as much as down there. So, <laughs> so the traffic was moving very slowly. Um, and so it turned it into a, I don't know, like an eight or nine hour drive, but I was like, Oh man, next time I am definitely driving. Cause that whole airport thing was a debacle. And I know some people that got stuck there. And then the, the worst part about it was they weren't going to do a hotel cause it was weather related. Okay. Whatever. But they didn't know when the next flight was going to be and if you could get on it the next day. And I had I had stuff planned on Monday. I'm like, I gotta get home. <laughs> so <laughs> rental car it is, and the uh so so the car I rented is a 21 Sorrento has some ADOS features, which came in came in very handy. So it has the the lane departure warning, right? So you go outside a lane, it'll beep and vibrate at you and whatever. It also has the lane keep assist where camera is going to see those lines and it keeps your your it'll actually pull your steering wheel one way or the other but it does need to see that your hands are placed on the wheel like if you take your hands off the wheel it's going to yell at you that hey we're, we're not doing this all by ourselves here you got to have your hands on the wheel um but man that last hour of that drive it's 5 15 a.m i haven't slept nine hour drive i'm just like I think I think that lane keep assist did a lot of the driving <laughs> for me <laughs> to to get me on that home stretch back to my place. So I was thankful for that. But yeah, that was that was a haul. Yeah, that uh I mean, as long as that system can see the lines, yeah, if there's snow or anything on the that, ground. It didn't work with the snow at all. Yeah. yeah I had to get it to with where it was clear because the inclement weather and that kind of defeats the ADAS stuff. I think, I think that's where the, uh, the time that it's going to take to get self-driving vehicles like everywhere that I think snow and rain and inclement weather is going to be the, one of the biggest obstacles to that. At least from my perspective, I don't build AI or cars, so I don't know, but that's where, we'll start to see more done with, you know, there's already some with a V2V and the V2I and the V2X systems, um, like vehicle to vehicle, vehicle to infrastructure and vehicle to uh, whatever else, um, instead of relying on, you know, purely 
visual line of sight line of sight of a reflective marking or the edge of a road um there's you know vehicles are going to be communicating with one another to buildings to stoplights um it's going to it's going to change everything will be the you know doip um you know ethernet based systems where it's a whole lot faster and that's that's coming i mean that's some of that a lot of that stuff's already here and um a lot of people haven't done anything to prepare for it so but it's coming Mm -hmm. um so just that'll be i think that'll that'll be a big game changer as far as vehicle safety um that we need to have in our mindset because that's that's going to change a lot of what we do and how we diagnose vehicles going forward yeah um before i before i lose train of thought i'm i'm bad about you know forgetting to do something or mention something but you were talking about the keys and and, and taking that key class and the leashy stuff sure uh not to plug a youtube channel but if you get a chance to check out if you haven't already a uh, page called lock picking lawyer okay um it's he's got a lot of good a uh, lot of good content and um it, it's pretty amazing to watch how he makes something so complicated or seem, you know, what would seem complicated. so easy. Um, he does a lot of different, a lot of different automotive locks, a lot of, you know, home security padlocks, like master and stuff. It's supposed to be high security and, and, you know, unpickable like three seconds. He's got it open (laughs) and it's, it's really cool. Um, it, it, it'll, it'll really make you rethink, um, what you consider or how, um, how secure you think your home is and your belongings and, and stuff your that you think are, are locked up and not going anywhere. It, it's, it's pretty scary on how poorly some stuff designed. Um, but it's a, it's a good channel to check out. Yeah. Honestly, kind of, I mean, even just the leashy stuff, I'm like, wow, like that was when, once you figure it out, it's like, that's so easy to get into a vehicle. <laughs> like, do, 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 do. okay, I'm in. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's nuts. But, well, and I don't know. I'm sure this is probably why the locksmiths are, you know, try to keep that stuff close to their chest as much as possible, but that you can just go buy this stuff. And, and it's like, oh, man, I, I, but a lot, a lot of the, the concerns about security and stuff, I, I get it from that perspective where, you know, a random person could go buy this and watch some YouTube videos and maybe figure it out and then they're into a vehicle, you know? Yeah, it's double-edged sword. I mean, uh-huh. uh, whether you was, you know, considered an honor system or not, um, information today is so easily attainable that you know years ago is you know very secret now it's out in the open and is hope that it's not used for the wrong purpose um, right like youtube facebook social you know anything social media anything web-based you know used for the right reasons is good and it's uh um it's very very helpful but at the same time somebody uses it for the wrong thing it just it just hurts everybody all around and I, I can't stand that when that happens. Yeah, that's well, that's been a debate many times. This is about even if it's not locksmith stuff, just you know, sharing information and knowledge, what might be considered like inside information or industry knowledge, and putting it out on YouTube or or some similar format. YouTube's the 
the common one that people refer to because there's so many users and literally anybody can watch the videos and it's it's a debate i i definitely see both sides of it right um i have used youtube many 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 times to help me through things automotive or not and it's i'm like i'm so glad i have this resource it's so helpful but Mm -hmm. at the same time yeah like this is this might be something i do to earn income you know this is my career this is how i provide a service for someone and then now it's just out there how how do i do that particular thing oh it's not that hard you just you just buy this auto and you do this thing okay now yeah, does it's, that, it's does just that, that easy value right well that's the thing it's not always that easy <laughs> uh that's if somebody said oh, i can do it okay go okay. ahead yeah sure you sure. know i'll have my phone on me call me when you uh call me when you need me <laughs> yeah exactly, I'll go, exactly i'll go do something else um so we so we went to Vision. Vision's behind us. That was a great event. I can't wait to go. I I can't wait till next year, um, until we're we're back there because that was a great time. Uh, mm-hmm. It was just it's just really really fun. I, I enjoy those events. Um, so what's uh for you? What's your what training event are you going to next? Oh man, I'll tell you what. Uh, I think SPX or is, is that what it is? STX that's going on right now. If that was like a couple months later, I would have I would have went to that too. I was looking at the training lineup for that and how how many classes they have, and I think it's down in Florida. It just looked fantastic, yeah. but I couldn't swing going to two in the same month. Like I just could not. I couldn't make that happen. Uh, so that would have been one. So I actually don't have anything planned over the summer. I mean, I'll definitely try to hit up uh, ASTE again in the fall, but between now and then, I'm kind of looking right now. Um, actually, doesn't uh, is AT- is ASTE registration open yet? I don't know. I haven't, I haven't seen anything, was, but that's not to okay. be. It. I mean, I couldn't. Because if they are, I need to go ahead and sign up because I'm I'm going to that. <laughs> yeah, again. yeah, that one was that one was fantastic. Um, I'm actually, I'm talking with uh, Mike and Pedro about their EPROM class and seeing if they do one up here, closer where I'm at in the Twin Cities, Midwest area. But uh, I'm just just starting out with that, and that would be, um, you know, late spring, early summer, potentially, if that happens. So I guess if anybody's listening, hit me up if you're interested, because we may be looking for Absolutely. Candidates, um, but they that uh, definitely be worth going to. Yeah, they they put on. I've I've been to their class, but it's one of those classes where I I'm sure you know you went to the vision one. You could go again and probably learn just as much because there's so there's so much to it, and there's so many things you could go over two three times in that in that area if you're interested in it. Now you took the uh, oh you said when you were at vision you took the Subaru class and you know mm-hmm. the the prom deal with the learned uh, cam values. Yeah. Um, have you had any further insight on, you know, what, uh, you know, what blocker or, or what part of the EEPROM houses that information? Is there a particular one, like, you know, a two or four little blocks of that EEPROM read that you could zero out or change to a certain value to refresh it? Um, all I can see there is that. It's being it's being worked on. I guess is the best way I can put that. I don't have any definitive answers or 
Um, I, I'm probably, in all honesty, not the guy that's going to be able to tell you that. But I got connected with some people, and there's things in the works. So I would, my hope is eventually that, yeah, there is a fix for that, that you can go in and just type something up, and you're good to go. Um, but as of right now, no. Um, it's one of those things where I'd like to have several more known goods and known bads, right? So that I can compare. And then that hex data, it's, uh, it's gibberish. So (laughs) sorting through it is, is interesting trying to figure that stuff out. And that's where I've been talking to some other people that understand that stuff a little bit better. And it's actually, it's funny you say that I was talking to somebody about that today and they were telling me all these things about, checksums and equations done within this data and it, it's far more complex than uh, my my understanding is on it but there's got to be a way to fix it i know that right because yeah. i i copy and paste the whole file and it fixes it so there's got to be a little section that you're, I can you're on the, you're on the right track we're we're in you know we're this area to narrow it down exactly so exactly i tried swapping sections I, I try. I tried dividing the EEPROM into different sections and just pasting in sections, but I wasn't able to figure it out. And I only tried about three times because it's a bit of a time-consuming process to do that. Yeah. And I just kind of gave up. I'm like, eh, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm probably going to break something. So, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, hey, it, interesting, interesting stuff. Um, you know, once you get into the details on this, like, and. Um, it's also interesting that Subaru hasn't come out with something too. Um, you know, that this is a clearly a problem based on the Subaru class that I took. They're fully aware of it. They have a service bulletin and they just say, replace the ECM. And they're not terribly expensive in all honesty. I think they're like three, 400 bucks. So end of the day, well, at that point, it's a guaranteed fix. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But what happens when they're not available? Sure. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And, if you had a fix, if you had a fix for this, you could yank the glove box, hold the ECM, pop a couple clips, hook up with the EEPROM, change some data. This is maybe an hour's worth of work, and you could charge half of what a new ECM costs. You'd be making out like a bandit, and they'd be happy, and we're saving modules. And I, I mean, it's a, it's a possibility, that's for sure. I know, I know a lot of people that would change the same, or they would charge the same as what, what a new ECM, new ECM would be. Yeah. But if they, you know, if a new module is not available, or it's you know two, three weeks out, mm-hmm. or you know galactic back order, and it's not coming anytime soon, the customer needs that vehicle back. Well, okay, you can pay, you know, I can charge this amount now and have it done here in an hour, or you can wait X amount of months. You know, it makes no difference to me. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You let me know what you want me to do. So, but that's that. I think that's going to be something that's going to be more and more common. And I'm trying to stay uh, ahead of the curve. And yep. I've been collecting modules like crazy from shops, whether I'm replacing one or seeing one laying around. Hey, do you need that? Is it is it any good? Is there anything wrong with it? Um, if 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 I know it's broken, then at the minimum I can use it to continually practice uh you know soldering and you know desoldering soldering skills uh hot air station find 
you know, ways to make uh, that process um, easier for me and and more efficient and always maintain accuracy. So there's, you know, it's perfect training, um, a training opportunity, to, you know, picking these things up and getting them out of their way. I can use them. They're not going back on a car. You have a hot air station? I, I've got one. I have uh, I have yet to break it up and set it up, though, because I haven't... Uh, uh, I haven't taken the time to just been, okay. you know, been very, very busy, but I was, um, was going to ask a recommendation cause I'm looking for one right now. I, did, I, there's so many out there. I don't even really know what's good. I think, and what's bad. I think the one I got, I mean, I got it on Amazon is like 45, uh, 50 bucks. I already had a, you know, decent soldering station that works well for me. And, um, I can't remember the, the, the name it's, I don't think it's UA or anything like that. Okay. It's some, some, you can tell it's uh, yeah. definitely a Chinese name. Sure, but sure. Uh, I got to break it out and see see how well it works and um, just get used to it. And I like in the EEPROM class, uh, I had never looked for any of the the tips that are you know the four squares or the sections for the you know the four sided chips, and that was that was something new to me. So I'm gonna get uh, get some of those uh, hot air tips. For for mine, they're, I think they're pretty universal, and you can get them on Amazon pretty pretty cheap. What do those go on? Those go on the actual the end of the hot air gun. Okay. Um, instead of having just a single round outlet, like if you're trying to get a you know, four sided chip, two sided, four sided chip off, um, there's different sizes. So let's say it's a, a a one inch chip, and it's got legs on all four corners. Well, this yeah. is going to direct air to the the four sides right over the legs oh. without feed a bunch of temperature onto uh, like onto the MCU part of it and that's the, that stays nice and, and chill um, direct all the heat to the legs and then you know have your tweezers ready to pull that chip up Dang, okay I I didn't know that existed either that's pretty cool um, Tommy was telling me last week about some like hot tweezers where yeah I think it's just like two soldering irons and you can operate them as a tweezer. So I was like, Oh, you know, yeah. you don't even know if some of this stuff exists. So you talk to people. And like, I had, I had honestly hadn't seen those until, uh, until they broke them out. And then just the, the fact that, you know, a matter of seconds pulling an eight leg, uh, EEPROM chip off, like, wow. How did I, uh-huh. how have I not seen this before? <laughs> yep. Where are you hiding these secrets? Exactly. <laughs> yep. Yep. You said you uh, you don't have any um, maybe some training later this year. Next week, I am uh, I'm actually going down to Ocala, Florida, to the Electrified Garage. Okay. Have you heard of it? Uh huh. It's uh, from my understanding is all they deal with is electric vehicles. Uh, a lot of Tesla stuff, a lot of custom conversions. Um, they've got their own YouTube channel, you know, shop tours, stuff they work on. Um, a guy that uh, his channel is called Rich Rebuilds. He's he's got some good content, good content on there. Um, I, I'm going for a two day class. It's on Thursday, Friday of next week, and uh, I'm curious to see what all's uh, what is going to be there for in that time. So I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be something completely different. Yeah, that's awesome. I need to do some more electric vehicle and hybrid car training myself. Um, yeah, this from from what I understand, this is this is full electric, okay. um, nothing hybrid. I don't I don't think they touch anything that 
they use is gasoline, unless I'm unless I'm mistaken. Uh, but I think all they deal with at is all those Chevy Volt owners. Oh, there's still an engine <laughs> in there. <laughs> yeah, one video they had. Uh, uh, they were doing a shop tour, and it was like a, um, like a re, uh, like not an actual Lambo, but one of the kit cars, and had a full Tesla powertrain. Nice. Um, I thought that was pretty cool. Um, um, Seth there's... Orson up here, he did that with a, uh, I think it was a ProMaster van or a, I think I'm pretty sure it was a Pro. Yeah, it was a ProMaster where they put a Tesla drivetrain into the front of this thing. So it was a fully electric <laughs> van. <laughs> that was crazy. It was, uh, it was an art, um, it was a magazine article. It was a really cool video attached, but it was an old, uh, was it a, wasn't a CUDA, I don't think. Um, is an old, you know, an old muscle car, but instead of a, you know, gas engine, this thing was fully electric. And he did what was called a no-cut build, where nothing was modified on the vehicle, you know, wasn't cut and hacked to pieces. Everything was, uh, you know, designed to be bolt-together style, even into the dash. Um, there, was, uh, there was nothing modified on the interior that, you know, if you took it apart that you'd be able to tell otherwise. Um, but it was really, really nicely done and, um, just fully electric. There was one that Jay Leno did, uh, where Ford performance had the, like the Mach-E GT, um, drivetrain in a, like a 79, uh, F 100, F 150 custom. Mm -hmm. And it was just, just, so much cool technology and and what's being done i mean that's that's going to be where this where this whole you know performance industry and, and automotive it's it's just going to be more and more common it's where we're headed yeah so but for now um yeah we can we're still focusing on we got plenty of broke cars and stuff that goes bang and uh <laughs> i'm sure you and i've ran into here lately some good uh some good vehicles that have been broken that somebody needed our help with right yes um well i've been i've been doing a lot of programming lately um trying to think of recently what's been really interesting if you got one go for it i'm trying to actually think i had one in mind and i'm having a brain fart here but (laughs) yeah sure while you're uh (laughs) while uh while, while you're thinking of that one um now, for the people listening to this, if they if they're on either the uh, the AIN Automotive Inside Network or the the AutoMD pages on Facebook, uh, a couple weeks ago, uh, I think it's about two, maybe three weeks ago now, um, about two, I put up a post about a a vehicle that I went and looked at for um, for a shop. It was a I got the I got my my think car here in front of me. What was this thing? Is um. Uh, 2009, uh, Kia Sorento, 2005, sorry. Okay. And, um, they called me up asking, you know, wanting me to come look at it and just gave me the rundown of this thing. And, you know, it had the cannon fired at it and it was still broke. It, uh, it said it just wouldn't, their, their claim was that it wouldn't take gas. Like, okay. okay. Well, what do you mean? And he said, "Well, um, 
you know, park and neutral, they said it'll rev up fine. And then when you go into gear, it just doesn't go anywhere. Um, it won't, it won't move. I was like, okay, that sounds interesting. So then they started naming off the parts that had been put on it. Um, they tried, uh, you know, throttle position sensor. They tried a mass airflow meter, um, tried, you know, all four oxygen sensors. They even gutted the cats on this thing. Um, uh, had all new plugs, new coils, new spark plug wires. It, this is a system where it's a way spark, three coils and three plug wires. Okay. Um, it got the tune up, uh, no misfires. Um, it just didn't have any power, wouldn't go anywhere. And I, I think that's, I want to say that's all of the parts they put on. I could be missing one or two, but, um, just firing everything at this, hoping something sticks and nothing did. And, uh, went out to it and this was back on, yeah, about three weeks ago, two or three weeks ago now. Um, uh, you know, initial scan, there's only three modules on the vehicle. Uh, in the ECM, I had a, uh, intake air temp sensor circuit high fault, PO113, mm-hmm. and a PO102 mass airflow low input. Now, typically, when I see those code sets, because somebody had uh, the mass airflow sensor unplugged and it has both the meter and the, the IET, sure, that's usually when I see those code set. Um, and that was the only, you know, engine performance related faults on here. Um, and they showed us present codes, but everything worked like it should. So I don't, I don't think that the present value is actually correct. Um, cause Antec air temp read normal, it read actual air ambient air and, uh, the mass airflow sensor was working. Um, so that was, that was something I noted right up front in the, in the initial scan of it. So I did, I did my normal thing, grab the scan tool, um, create a, you know, a pre-scan report. So I'll make a record before I touch anything and then go from there. And even though they mentioned they, they replaced all these parts, that really doesn't matter to me. It doesn't change my, my process. I still mm-hmm. have my routine. I go through, yep. um, like I've told people for years, you know, you gotta have your routine. You gotta stick to it. You gotta do it the same way every time. And I, I or what try to get people's attention is, you know, it's, it's asking an awful question. Well, what like do you put in your pants first? Cause a lot of people never think about it. Yeah. Like, which leg goes in your pants first? I don't know. I'll just put my pants on. Uh-huh. Well, tomorrow morning, pay attention. And, you know, so I'm, you know, I do my, my left leg first and then my right leg goes in and, you know, hopefully that or uh, one <laughs> than the other. And I had one guy say, well, no, I just, I'll put them both in, just jump up and pull them up. Okay. You know, go for it. Um, <laughs> do what you gotta do. The, the, the point of that is if you, you know, you have a routine, um, be aware of what your routine is. And then I said, okay, you put your left leg in first. Okay. Put your pants on, take them back off and then do it backwards. Is it going to feel the same? Is it going to feel right? And it won't, it's going to feel weird. Mm -hmm. So, and the whole point of that is you, if you follow a diagnostic process that you do the same way every time, um, your results, you should be consistent. But when you go, uh, when you skip your process, when you, uh, forget about that and try to do something completely different that 
you know, you're not used to, it's going to feel odd. Um, so have a routine that's, that's effective and do it the same way over time. That way you, you don't miss things and, um, your results are consistent. So, mm-hmm. uh, that's what I did pre-scan on this. And when some data, I seen that initially at a, a war model of 640 RPM, this thing's pulling, you know, seven and a half over eight grams per second of air on a 3.5 liter little V six. That ain't right. Right. That can't be right. However, um, you know, fuel trims, uh, at this point, you know, short terms around zero long terms, on one bank was negative seven, but the other is showing at zero. Um, so no major huge or no major fuel correction. Okay. And the, uh, you know, all the data looked okay other than the mass airflow rate being really high. Sure. Um, I did note it, like it wasn't surging, like it had a huge vacuum leak or it had – like an over rich or a lean condition. It's not like it had a fuel control issue. It's like whatever it's doing, um, it was, con- was kind of content with. Okay. Um, so, but I did notice on a snap throttle was really sluggish to accelerate. It's like, okay, well, um, I'll take that in consideration. And so the next thing I did was, uh, I just let it run and made sure that I had, you know, pretty stable data readings. And after a few, after a minute or so, of letting that run, um, that's where I, where, where I, where I stopped and I didn't have any cam crank faults. Um, so I really wasn't worried about it, but I wanted to prove, sorry, I wanted to prove that everything was right just in case this, you know, wasn't setting faults for whatever reason. So I grabbed, uh, I grabbed the Pico, hooked up a couple channels on, on this engine. It, it couldn't really be any easier to get to the cam crank sensors. Um, two sensors, they're uh-huh. right up front on the, on the top in the middle, just back probe and, and you're good to go. Um, so grab those cam crank waveforms and then uh, compare it to a known good file that I had and they're right on the money. The okay. the way the uh, I believe it was on the cam sensor the way it split the the gaps in the crank sensor waveform was right in the middle and that's the exact same that the known good was so I wasn't worried about cam crank correlation which explains why I had no codes it's like okay well, I'm not worried about that um, but it just you know kind of felt like uh, in a way a breathing problem but then the fuel trim data didn't support that so. My next step was to um, I always like to do a relative compression test when I'm doing a performance related issue. For sure. Um, to see, do I have, I, since I didn't have any misfires, it wasn't running rough, I wasn't worried about a dead hole. I wanted to see one, how much compression did this thing have represented by starter amperage? And then two, sink in ignition to see when that's happening because this mm-hmm. kind of fit a, a scenario that I've seen multiple times before. And that's, that's kind of where my, my mind was taking me. So as soon as I seen the, the relative compression pattern and then the ignition event happening after the peak, mm-hmm. you know, ignition happening after top dead center, um, I felt pretty confident. I was, 
that I was thinking right. So, so if um, you're looking at the if you're looking at the peak of a compression tower on the waveform, the spark line would be to the right of it as you're looking at the screen. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's you know top dead center. Well, I usually relate you know TDC to the peak amperage now. There's there's some debate. It's not always the case. That's just peak resistance of mm-hmm. when that happens. So ignition happened after the peak resistance or the peak starter load event, um, which we're used to it happening slightly before mm-hmm. um, when ignition timing event. So I'm like, okay, um, this you know is fitting more and more. So I decided to uh, go to number one cylinder. Because the problem that was present was spread, I felt was spread across all cylinders instead of an individual bank. Um, so I grabbed uh, the number one plug was easy to get to. It's a single wire. Pop it out. Uh, go in cylinder with a transducer. Um, kept my other signals attached. So I had ignition sink, cam and crank, and in cylinder pressure waveform. And then one capture. You know later, I was ready to call it. Um, you see the the entire Intake and exhaust valve events shifted over to the right. Um, exhaust valve didn't open until after bottom dead center. Mm-hmm. Uh, then it rises up to, to atmospheric. Uh, that's with the engine running. And then uh, it was about uh, you know, 20, 30 degrees or so after top dead center of when that waveform finally fell and went into what we consider a normal intake stroke. Um, and then... After bottom dead center, the amount of time that lapsed between bottom dead center to where pressure actually started building in the cylinder uh, was about that same amount, about 20 to 30 degrees. I think it was around like 18, if I if I remember the measurement right. Okay. Um, but everything everything was shifted to the right. Ignition shifted to the right. Um, valve event shifted to the right. And the only thing on that that could have caused it was a, a partially sheared or bit keyway. Oh. Um, and it turned out that somebody, those signs that somebody had been there before, uh, it had, when the shop tore it down, the timing belt was fairly new and somebody had just reused the old crank bolt. It's a one-time use, mm. uh, torque to yield. Um, you try what to time the again. motor in this one again? Uh, 3.5. 3.5. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So if that bolt is reused, it will, um, it will stretch. It'll it'll lose its tension, and then you no longer have that compression force between the bolt to balancer to crank sprocket to uh, crank snout, and so that that crank sprocket is just you know slapping back and forth, um, and that slot's going to open up and it's going to you know either bend or you know partially shear, eventually completely shear that keyway. Then it becomes a no start. Yeah. Um, so we caught it just in time that the keyway was bent, but the crank sprocket was okay. Um, I, you know, I told him I was there no more than I think like 30 minutes Okay. on this one. And they've been fighting it for a couple of weeks. So at, at that point, I, I remember, of course, you know, I save everything I do. My, um, my initial, uh, what time was this? Yeah, my, from the time I took the first um, Picoscope recording to the time I took the last one was 19 minutes apart. 
And most of that time in between was just looking up wiring diagrams and mm -hmm. uh, looking at my other data, making sure I wasn't missing anything and making sure that I was heading in the right direction. Um, you know, I'll stand outside in the rain and sprinkle a little bit, but I wasn't stressing. I had I had a workflow that I was going through and, and it turned out for, you know, for the good in this case. And, um, you know, going into what seemed like it should have been a, you know, a hard fun. Mm -hmm. just it came down to knowing uh how to understand and interpret data that were given by an oscilloscope and by some squiggly lines on the screen and that one turned out really good and you know um i think that really solidified the relationship i have with that shop and they don't you know they're not i hope they don't really question anything that i do if uh you know if i say it in full confidence and i, I think that's kind of what we're all after mm-hmm yeah. Well, and you know, you're there, you're there 19 minutes, but of course it's all the time and effort you put in behind the scenes that allowed you to do that in the that 19 was, minutes. There's, there's a lot of, there's several years of effort behind those 19 minutes. Yes. Yes. And, <laughs> and people don't always under, see or understand that, but that's, that's the truth of it. If you can, you know, make those assessments and you understand how to capture the waveforms and how to analyze the waveforms and how the engine works and there's there's so much that goes into all of that to make it a quick neat little package but um you know like what what tommy was talking about last week too like you got to charge accordingly for that regardless of how quickly or maybe in that instance how easy it is for you know somebody to do that like um it's that's quality work um and it should uh, demand a quality price i mean that's that's the uh, I like that. I like that case study though. That's that's good. I've I've seen a couple of those sheared keyways in the past on various vehicles. I was thinking of one that was a two four in a Kia a long time ago. It was actually my brother's car, but yeah. The uh, you know that can happen on on a lot of engines, and I've I've got a, a little collection of of bent keyways, and I remember the first time I ever ran into that was. Oh, I was fairly new. I was very, very new to the oscilloscope then. Um, this was probably 10, no, about probably 11 years ago, somewhere around there. Um, it was on a Mazda Miata. Mm -hmm. And that was that was the first time I, I really ran into a, a, you know, a sheared keyway or a bent keyway. And uh, that was that was the learning, the learning point. Um, that really turned me to, you know, I got, I got to pay more attention. I got to find a, a better or an easier way to do this. And, um, there's, there's always something to learn. Yeah. And, no uh, <laughs> you know, going from, I think it was the same, was it the same? Yeah. It was the same day. I went from that call to a, uh, uh, an individual's house, um, is a car that his son or son-in-law works at a crosser dealer. This was a, where was this thing? Um, was a 2007, uh, crosser 300. Okay. And it had, uh, you know, transmission wouldn't shift. Um, it would slam into gear really hard where going to reverse neutral drive or reverse or drive. And it just, you could go on, on the, you could drive it out of the driveway, but it's stuck in the first gear. It, it mm -hmm. won't upshift. And by the time, 
I got called out to it, or they called me. They got my number from another person. Um, they already tried a new TCM from eBay or a, a used TCM, and nothing changed. Um, and I, I don't know what – I can't remember what all else they done, but it had been down a while. I don't know if they done much to it. It's just been one of those things that set for a long time. Um, maybe four or five months it's been sitting there dead. And – you know, through through the testing, you know, went straight, you know, grabbed the wiring diagram, and there's a, a single power and a single ground for this module, and uh, check for power at it, no power. It had ground, but no power. So going back to the, the, the PDC, the power distribution center in the trunk, um, you know, power comes in to relay, then a fuse, then the module. Well, on the fuse... I had no power either with the you know vehicle running, mm-hmm. um, so the fuse wasn't being powered up. Um, pulled the fuse out, checked it, you know no power at that, so it wasn't blowing or anything. And then went to the TCM relay, and uh, you know wasn't hot. There was no heat. Pulled it out. It didn't you know unclick like a relay turning off. Mm-hmm. Um, dropped it back in the slot. There's just there was nothing. Um, Verified at terminal 30 power. It had the the switch power from the ECM to turn on. It had a constant ground. I think for 85 was ground, 86 switch power, 30 is constant power, uh, and then 87 is load side. Um, it had everything it needed, so I grabbed another relay out of the what was labeled as the, the rear seat heaters, popped it in. As soon as I dropped it in enough, I felt it click. Mm. So... Pulled out and sure enough, socked a couple times and then plugged it back in. And uh, you know, originally had no communication with the TCM. That's what somebody else had, uh, you know, looked at it so they couldn't talk to the to the TCM. That's why they got one. Um, I mean, I, I mean, I verified that that problem, but um, yeah, looking on the on the scanner port, there is no TCM. Uh, on this list and I'm staring right at it. So I know it has it. Um, but no, after that went back in, redid the scan that showed it had, uh, the TCM had a code stored in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was shown as a past code, um, cleared the code, cycled through the gears and it, you know, shifted just fine. It was fixed nice. and all over a failed relay. Nobody, wow. I guess whoever worked on it, forgot to, you know, verify it had power to work. Yeah, that's just uh, sometimes it's the simplest stuff. And you know, I was racking my brain, you thinking of uh, of a you know an interesting case study lately when you, when you first asked there, and I'm just like thinking, I'm like, you know, most of this stuff ends up being pretty simple, right? It, it, at least the fix, right? It's not like, oh wow, this is some like intricate, interesting thing that happened. Yeah, it's a relay, or an open wire, or a fuse, or I had a parasitic draw the other day that somebody had uh flipped flipped the lighting switch in the wrong direction like and i couldn't believe it was so simple i'm like like did we not check for this like what's the deal the it's the interior dimmer switch was like was on and uh, they called me in for this i'm like did you guys even look at this like (laughs) it's it's just staring you in the face like literally um but yeah i guess it all goes back to that testing process um I, i did have an interesting one um this is actually a few weeks ago um it was f-150 with the uh, triton 5.4 
uh, you know, so super, super common for all kinds of I love, with that engine. I love that. I love that engine. I was, uh, I just started my career out with Ford right out of tech school. Um, when that engine came out. So, uh, yeah. I learned that that engine is where I, I cut my teeth and I learned a lot. I'm, I'm so thankful that Ford made that engine cause it's paid a lot of my mortgage. <laughs> yeah. No, but go no. ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> um, well, I, I'm as equally as happy for the, uh, the six L eighties recently. Um, but so it was misfire shot me was a misfire had done the, you know, normal stuff, coil plug swap injector didn't get rid of this misfire. And, uh, they, I'm trying to remember if they told me if they did a compression test or not. And I, right now at this moment, I don't remember if they, they said they did a compression test or not on this thing, but had they done a compression test, I actually would have came back okay or within the normal range. So I get there and it's definitely misfiring. It's like a dead hole. It is cylinder number one, two, three. So that's a driver's side, third one back because they count one, two, three on one bank and they go four, five, or uh, I'm, uh, one, two, three, four, and then five, six, seven, eight on the, on the driver's side. So anyways, it was three back and it was misfiring. Okay, cool. So let's look at this. Let's get into it. And again, spark looks good. Fuel looks good. It's all there. Now, when I crank this thing, it sounds, it sounds really, really good as far as the compression goes. Audibly, sounds great, everything. And relative compression kind of shows the same thing where it's, it's good cranking. Well, if you start it up, again, it's misfiring. And what I did is I went in cylinder, which... Actually, now that I'm thinking about this, I got to order the adapter for my WPS that goes into the, the, the different, they have a different spark plug thread on those five fours. It's like a different course yeah, it's or a, something. Yeah, it's a 16 millimeter. Yeah. So anyways, I, I can, I, I can help you out with that. Just let me know. I just, I just need to remember to do it. I had, I had told myself I was going to order one. And I never did. So I'm going to write that down right now. Okay. I'll, I'll uh, put it on your needs list. Um, anyways, I, I went in cylinder. I had to, I had to borrow an adapter and makeshift something so I could get in there, but I went in cylinder with the WPS just cause I want to see what, what's happening with the cylinders. Everything looks okay as far as cranking compression goes and far as injector and spark and that's all there, but it's, it's a dead hole. Like there's no doubt when this thing's running, it's missing. And so I go in cylinder and as it's running, I got like almost no compression. It's like this little tiny little bump on the, on the waveform. And I'm questioning, did I hook something up right? Is my, my range is set correctly. And it was, there was just, there was no compression on this thing. Once it was running now, again, cranking, it was pretty good. It would show cranking and you could crank it for a while too. I think the longest I tried was maybe somewhere between, I don't know, eight to 10 seconds, but it had cranking compression. Um, but the, the WPS would show almost no compression once this thing was running. And, um, I thought that was, I thought that was really strange that it could build adequate compression while it was cranking, but not while it was running. And I was, I was going through the list of things in my head. Okay. Well, what could this be? It's obviously not like a piston or something like that. It's gotta be. It's got to be valve train related somehow or another. And I'm pretty familiar with the setup on these. I'm sure you are too. You got the lifters and you got the little rockers and everything. 
um, that are trapped underneath the overhead camshaft on this thing. And I was thinking, I was like, well, maybe there's an issue with one of the lifters themselves here. Um, it's not like a rocker's falling out because again, it can build adequate compression, like, and no, no problem doing so cranking. Um, but I told him, I was like, let's, let's pull the valve cover and then let me know what you end up finding. I have a feeling you'll find your issue here because it's going to be, it's going to be valve train related. Um, now what I should have done on this and I didn't, I didn't hook up the intake pulse sensor, um, Looking back on it, I actually wish I would have because I think I might have been able to find out or at least see what was going on here. Anyways, they pulled it the next day and it was just a broken valve spring, right? So easy enough to fix. Now, it was interesting, though, because this has two intake valves on this thing, right? And so it was one of the intake valves that was that had the broken valve spring. And I thought it was really odd that it was able to build the compression cranking at a slower engine speed but then it would seem to drop off almost completely once it was running. And I don't know if it just had to do with the timing of the valve closing and the time, the speed of the engine, if that was where the correlation was, but it, it definitely made it. So it was not able to build a compression and it was a misfire running, but cranking, it was slow enough going that it was able to seal. That's my best guess anyways, as to why that was, but the valve springs fixed it either way. Yeah, if uh, if that volume of air was well, obviously your volume of air cranking is going to be different. It's going to be higher. Um, I mean, it could have enough. It could apply enough force to push that valve up against the seat and seal off and and make mm, and give the impression that it's that. good. Okay. Um, yeah, that that may be the case. Is that it was actually assisting the broken spring in a way. Yeah. I, my, I would say that's probably what was most likely what was going on in uh, causing that variable. Yeah, but um, I've seen a lot of the like the the followers, the cam follower rollers will lock up and then it just ends up gouging out the cam lobe. Um, where you'll have like the outside profile of the cam lobe will still have the ears, but then like the center uh, part of the lobe where the uh, roller follows on, it's just gouged out. It's trenched. And at that point, you got all that metal that's been flowing through the engine. And that thing's trashed at that point. It's I'm going to send you a picture right now on uh, Facebook Messenger of this thing going to... So on the left of the screen, just for everybody listening, because I know it's an audio-only podcast, I'm looking at a WPS on a Pico. On the left of the screen, <clears throat> cranking... We are showing 170 plus PSI of compression. And then you can see as this thing starts and it just goes boom all the way down to building almost no compression. But the odd thing was that you could crank it for a significant amount of time and get that that good compression over and over and over again. So like I was saying at the beginning, had they put a gauge in here and cranked it traditional it would have showed great compression in this thing, or at least adequate. I mean, I don't know what spec is on one of these Fords off the top of my head. Maybe you do, but I wouldn't be upset uh, with 170 plus. No, generally, like one, I think like 130 to 150 at least is passing, mm -hmm. and you would have a uh, you would have above that. So that would be that'd be enough to pass for sure. 
Just trying to bring you a picture of my internet's oh, slow yeah. out here right now. But um but yeah. Yeah, that was that's a good one. I, was, like I said, I just... love uh I love that five four three valve and the six oh power stroke. Um give me one of them any day. I'll take it. <laughs> For sure. Yeah, there's, there's those uh, certain certain vehicles, certain motors that uh, make you a lot of money. It was the GM three ones and the three fours when I was a tech. Uh, man, I did I did so many intake manifolds and head gaskets on those things. It was ridiculous. I had that down. I had that down to a science. I take those the it was a push rod motor. These three ones and three fours, and I'd rip the valve covers off. I'd yank the push rods out through the valve covers without taking the, the intake off, yank oh. the head bolts and I'd have somebody help me and I'd lift both the both heads and the intake manifolds and exhaust all off the engine as one, set it over on the table <laughs> and then I'd rip it apart on the table. And you could, you could have one of these engines apart, like down to the head gaskets within un, under two hours easily, easily. Um, but it was just because we did them so often, right? That's the thing. It's like re- repetition, and you kept going over and over and over again, and you eventually figure out that that flow. But yeah, those things make a ton of money as a tech. <laughs> I'm looking at that picture right now, and that's uh, that is one crazy waveform. Yeah. So you, you see on the you zoom got, window where I was cranking it before I actually started it. Yeah, you got three like like at least three pulses in that that are that are even and they match yeah. your initial one and, and, and you could do from... that for a decent amount of time and then you start it and then it's nothing it's gone completely wow that's pretty cool <laughs> yeah that's a good capture yeah definitely hang I, on to that one like i said i should have done the intake pulse because uh, i was i was talking to somebody else about it and they were like well where's the where's the intake pulse capture i'm like ah, i should have Try to hook that up for that one, but I I'm still consistently learning with that intake pulse waveform. The John Thornton class was very helpful to get some insight onto that, but I've I've definitely struggled with that one to read into it. Like, what's that? What's that little pulse mean? Or I would expect it to be low or high here, and it's not. And so it's kind of a it's one of those things you get repetition, like secondary ignition, just repetition, repetition, and eventually you get better at it. And uh, for those listening, uh, if you want two of the, probably the best resources to learn um, pulse sensor usage, it's either going to be Thornton or Steckler. Uh, yes, definitely. It's going to be the two avenues to go down to, uh, you know, get some information from these guys. Uh, Whether it's, a, you know, an online course, a book, whatever, anything you can grab from on the subject, they're going to be, um, probably going to be the king of getting you in the right direction on that subject. Yeah. Brandon's got, that's my opinion stuff. anyway. Yeah, no, it, Brandon has a really, really good book, which I'm pretty sure you can purchase online. Um, I would, I'm pretty sure you can, but, um, yeah, AES, AES web sells the, sells the print book and the, uh, and the, e, the, the ebook too. They sell a lot of good stuff. It's good to meet those people at vision too. Oh, Carlos yeah. and everybody. That was yeah, pretty they're, cool. They're tremendous people. They definitely have a heart for the for the industry and uh, us technicians doing doing this stuff. And they uh, they do a lot for us more than you know a lot of people realize. So mm-hmm. um, I have no problem backing 
backing them, supporting them, and saying saying very kind things about them. They they're awesome people. Yeah, same same here. I was uh, I was working to try to get them as a sponsor for the podcast. I haven't made any progress for that yet, though. So I'm gonna keep trying. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so what else? Uh, do I have another. Oh well, this is a little fun fact here. Um, okay. And what it's not really a case study, but uh, this was the first time I had ran into it. Um, got a call from a body shop. They were they had just replaced a or straightened a left rear quarter panel um, and put a tail lot in a 2020 Jeep Gladiator. Now this okay. is a a Jeep Wrangler truck, um, kind of like a the old scrambler, sure. the old CJ scramblers with the with four doors. Um, all, that's all they did. They uh, they didn't replace anything other than a tail lot and straighten a quarter panel. Well, they had a um, uh, they did have some lights on and you know some collision messages, some warning indicators. Um, and when I went out there, uh, did the scan. They had a bunch of lot or faults for the uh, that was in the BCM for the left rear tail lamp. Uh, or left tail lamp. Oh, sorry. And uh, turns out when I scanned it, I didn't look at the back, but the tail lot wasn't plugged up. And uh, as soon as we plugged it up, cleared, uh, or did clear those faults, and then re-ran the report. And the only um, the only fault that came back was a a left. Um, uh, was it left tail lamp control circuit? Um, uh, short is that the okay. right one? Um, no, sorry. Uh, had the only code that was setting was a B sixteen forty two dash fifteen for rear left uh, rear left turn lamp control circuit short to battery or open. Um, anytime on these vehicles, these uh, newer ones that you know, have the body control module controlled circuits. Um, if the key is powered on and something's disconnected, bulb burned out or something is uh, unplugged, um, mm-hmm. you'll have fault codes like this set up or set. The only way on this, when we look up the, the workflow on this code, um, the only way that code will clear out, uh, that'll pass and be able to clear out is when the ignition's powered on and then the the turn signal is operated for at least twenty seconds. Okay. So all I had to do was uh, I they called me to come program a uh, a blind spot sensor or a blind spot monitor mm-hmm. or module on this one because it's got a module that's part of the tail light. Yeah, I just um, ran into that F one fifty the other day. That's that's what the whole call was about. Well, um, that one. I, I try to tell them, look, it's plug and play. There's nothing to program. Well, we got these warning messages on. So I drove up there and it was like a 40 minute drive. And, uh, I got up and, or got up there and all I had to do basically was, um, operate a turn signal switch. And that's it. And then the, then the codes were gone. I was done. Um, so that was, that was an easy one, but, uh, it also had, I mean, the whole point I'm saying is 
Look in service info because this one is an easy fix. You can't clear that code out with a scan tool. It's it's kind of like the old perm, like the permanent codes. It's going to be there until a module is satisfied with you know something being operated. There's hmm. parameters that have to complete and pass before it'll set before it allow the code to be cleared. And this is one of them. It's just uh, a minimum twenty seconds of operating the turn signal. And after that, it, you know that was done. Um, yeah. It also had a it also had an indicator on the cluster for um like a uh the forward collision warning system, but the light or the indicator was for the system being turned off. And this one had the the center stack or the the Uconnect system where you can turn that system on or off through like the the radio area. Okay. And all I had to do was uh, went in there and I, I showed the the shop owner how to turn it back on, and then the light went off. So it's not that anything was wrong. That's just showing that this is turned off. And I guess it, I don't know if it defaulted to being that way when they were servicing it, or if it may have come in that way. They don't know. Um, but also the same vehicle, somebody had intentionally unplugged. Uh, the one of the underhood uh, or the hood switches. This has switch one and switch two. Okay. And it and it had a fault code for a P152E uh, engine hood switch two circuit high. It'd been unplugged for a while, and that prevents start stop from working. And there was a um, when you start the vehicle up, there was a uh, start stop system disabled message that would come on um, come up on the cluster, and. I, I, once I connected those two dots, I, I just let him know, look, somebody's intentionally done this uh, mm-hmm. prior to you having it. It came in that way, and we'll just leave it that way. Nice. So that was uh, – but the whole point of that one was about the about the tail lamp. I mean, all it took yeah. was 20 seconds of turn signal function, and it was happy. <laughs> yeah. Instead oh, of yeah. a drive cycle, just, you know, turn the turn signal switch <laughs> like, on. <laughs> So, so if it's a BMW, they would never fix that code. Is what you're saying? <laughs> yeah, that, yeah. If, it would never, it would never get fixed. It just, don't leave the light on. Leave the light on. It'll be all right. <laughs> oh man. Well, uh, shit. We just did uh, two hours just like that, man. Man, it's flew by. Hey, it's been a, it's been a blast. It's, uh, it's fun. Hopefully, it sounds okay being on, on these. Last time we chatted, I had a really bad. I just got over science infection. I still had a little bit of a head cold, sound stuffy, but I just sound bad all the time. I'm sorry, <laughs> but uh, no, but I, I love to chat and I love uh, I love getting to have these discussions. And it was great seeing you again at Vision, and, yeah, definitely. And everybody else and had a good time. And um, yes, I, I, I always try to encourage people in the industry to uh, to never stop training and and always continue to better yourself and. And try to learn something new every day, or, or maybe not every day, just you know, once a week. So, you know, challenge yourself in some way to to want to be better the next day than you are today. Mm-hmm. And if you're still in the same spot a year from now that you were today, that's your fault. So, so get on the path to to bettering yourself and. Uh, be the best you can be on this industry because it's constantly changing. The the moment we learn something, we're already behind, and we're, we're always playing catch up. So if you know if if you have the if somebody has the attitude of you know I always want to learn, always want to grow, always want to be better, then 
you're, you'll fit right in this industry. But if uh, if you don't have that, then yeah, it's gonna else. be tough. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I enjoy what. I enjoy what I do. I enjoy what I get to do and I enjoy meeting people like you and, uh, and everybody else at these shows and, and training events and, and getting to, to network. And, uh, these pages are great. Um, I think like I, like I mentioned before, last time we talked, I wish, wish we had that stuff or this type of stuff, you know, 15 or when yeah. I was starting 18 years ago in the industry. And, no um, kidding. I can't imagine where I, where I, when we pitch it or potentially could be if that had been the case. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So, uh, take, take advantage of, uh, everything that's out there and everybody that's willing to share. But, uh, yeah, likewise to you, it's, uh, awesome to meet people like you and get to have hour or two hour conversations about this stuff. That's, that's pretty <laughs> two cool. hours. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love it. <laughs> I, I, I appreciate you. Uh, you have me out again, and uh, I, I really enjoy it. Look forward to next time. And well, yeah, we didn't even get to one got, of the topics we were going to talk about, so there'll have to be a next time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, that's uh, that's always another conversation we can have. Just anytime, anytime you want to, just let me know. I'm I'm always up for it. Okay, one more big thank you to Daryl for joining me on the show today. I really enjoyed getting to sit down and talk with him. Uh, just uh, basically be car nerds. <laughs> that's a lot of fun for me. Uh, hey, if that's you as well, you like these discussions and you'd like to have one of these, you want to be on the podcast, just hit me up. Shoot me a message on Facebook or email, which you can find in the show notes of this episode. And if you're passionate about what you do in this field, I want to talk to you. We'll get you on the show. All right. Well, with that all out of the way, let's all get out there and start fixing the world one car at a time. Yeah.